Open up your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. We're getting near the end of the narrative section of Daniel. The first half, the second half is prophecy. Let's ask God's help once again. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a joy it is to open it up before your people, knowing that you're doing a mighty work planned before the ages began. Conform us to the image of Christ. Renew our minds. Transform our hearts. Fill us with your spirit, O God, to know your word and to obey it. For the glory of your name. Amen. Last week, we concluded chapter 5 which we saw the fall of the Babylonian Empire. The Lord Judge King Belshazzar at the time, who was the final king of Babylon, who suffered the same sin as his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar did before him, and that was of pride. We saw how the Lord brought swift judgment to Belshazzar and how the great Babylonian Empire fell once and for all. They were taken over by the Mede and the Persian Empire, which is the next successive world empire in history, and according to the book of Daniel. Something amazing happens after just one year in power when the Persian king is convinced to send the Jews back home. Remember, it had been 70 years now since chapter 1 of Daniel. In chapter 1, we saw... Daniel and the exiles leave Judah to go to Babylon. Seventy years has transpired now as we get to chapter 6. In the first year of the reign of King Cyrus, he sends the Jews home back to Judah and commissions them to rebuild the temple. This is astounding when you think about it. Astounding that King Cyrus, an enemy nation, not only commissions them to go back home, gives them permission to go back home, but then even finances it. He pays for the temple to be rebuilt. How does that happen? Well, by the providence and the sovereignty of God. And we're going to see a little bit more why I think that is true in just a bit. But we see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36 tells us of the, this edict that King Cyrus of Persia makes. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and Also put it in writing, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord, his God, be with him. Let him go up. So, some of the Jews go back home, but not all of them. For example, Daniel doesn't go. He stays there in now underneath Persian rule. And if you remember a young lady who comes a little bit later in the story, Esther. Esther and her family remains and does not go back home. About seven or eight years ago, I preached a series through Esther. It's on our website if you want to listen to it. 
called Rhythm and Rhyme, about God's sovereignty. Uh, You can go listen to that. And so Daniel remains. And remember, 70 years has passed, and and Daniel is a very aged man. He's in his early 80s. He was a high ruler in Babylon. And now, by God's providence, he is now in Persia. Let's go to chapter 6 and see what happens to Daniel here. It pleased Darius to set up the kingdom... 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom." Now, something to point out here, Darius is actually a title for King Cyrus. The title Darius is actually used of five other Persian rulers in history. Darius then is like a title like Pharaoh or Caesar or even governor or president, we would say. Darius is the same person as King Cyrus who's ruling all of Persia. So the first thing King Cyrus does is, now that he's in charge of his new empire, divides the whole empire into 120 different sections. And he gives them 100 different, different rulers to rule over there. And their primary responsibility was to help the king and prevent financial loss or a military revolt. And over those 120, he put three of them to be in charge of the 120. And Daniel was one of them. You can imagine if you're doing math, each guy had 40 people he was over. So Daniel's over one, over 40 of these different rulers ruling the nation. How does this happen? How does an exile from Judah go to Babylon and be raised up in high power? And then once that kingdom falls, he's now raised up and made high in the kingdom of Persia? Well, you all know the answer to that. God is sovereign. Amen? Just as he raised Joseph to power in Egypt, just as he would later raise Queen Esther to power in Persia to be able to save the Jewish people when the time was right for such a time as this, it's God's providence. It's God's sovereignty at work here. Here in the enemy territory. We see this again and again. God gets what he wants. And he puts his people where he wants them to be. And here, just as God had raised Daniel up before Nebuchadnezzar, he raises him up here before King Cyrus. And is probably why King Cyrus is softened in his heart to send the Jews home. Because he really, really likes Daniel. He really likes this guy. I mean, who doesn't like a guy named Daniel? I mean, let's be real. (laughs) We're all so lovable and likable. But here, the reason is that he had an excellent spirit about him. Daniel was a very pleasant guy. He was a guy with a great attitude and a good work ethic. And he, he was a guy that just people liked. And again, we see that in Esther's life, how God raises her up 
to win a beauty pageant, to be over there, to be the queen. To... God has his people in the right places at the right time because he is in control. So here's Daniel, now a new empire, but kind of the same thing. And what's ironic here is remember what Belshazzar promised him. If you tell me what the writing on the wall means, I'll make you third in the kingdom. Remember? Well, in a sense, it comes to pass. Daniel kind of gets that, but now with the Persian king uh, instead. Look at verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So not everybody liked Daniel. They, I think, are a little prejudiced here. Who is this Jew who has come here and is now in charge of all these things? And he's got the ear and the eyes of the king. They don't like him. They become very jealous towards him. Even though he's a nice guy and has an excellent spirit in him, there's still that sin of pride and that sin of jealousy that wants to fight that back. And because they don't like Daniel, and even later on they will even say that exile from Judah, kind of like an anti-Semitic remark, they are trying to find something and say, okay, what can we do to get him fired? So they have a meeting and they search and they go through his resume and they go through his past and they say, he's squeaky clean. We can't find anything wrong with him. There's nothing legitimately that we can do because he's faithful. I mean, Daniel can be counted upon. When you tell him to do something, he does it. He keeps his promises. He doesn't lie. He has, he's a man of integrity and a man of great character. So what are we going to do to get rid of him? <laughs> this is the problem. And they come to the solution that says, the only way we could trip this guy up is if we make a law that makes him sin against his God. That's it. Because we know he loves his God so much. And unless we do something to maybe trip that up and put him in a place where he has to decide whether he has to worship God or worship the king, maybe he'll cave. And maybe the king will see him and, and get angry at him because his allegiance is more with his God than the empire. They're putting Daniel's devotion to God on the line, trying to trap him. Well, look at verse 6. Then these high officials... And satraps came by agreement to the king. And they said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the, prefect, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So they come up with this law 
that basically says for the next 30 days, nobody's allowed to pray to anybody. Nobody's allowed to even ask anyone for anything except if it's to the king. He's the only one. They kind of elevate this king in a, to be like a god, lowercase g. Everything else is off the table. And the punishment for praying to a deity other than King Cyrus is that they would be cast into a den of lions and meet certain and quick death. And then they asked the king to establish this as a law according to the Medes and Persians. And what was so interesting about that is when the Medes and Persians passed a law, it could not be changed. There is no vetoing it or canceling it or hoping that you elect some people who could overturn a previous rule. Once an edict of the Medes and Persians went out, it was legit and it was over. No changing your mind, no going back, no amending it. Now, the king could issue a new law, but that would make him look really, really bad. Because the Medes and Persians valued your word and valued their laws. This is a part of their culture, that what we say goes and it can never be changed. And so they're doing this so that there's no backing out. Because why? They know that the king has a soft heart for Daniel. And once the king finds out that he has just executed Daniel because of a law he made, he's going to want to back out of it. So we're making it so that he cannot and we get what we want and Daniel is toast. For the next 30 days, the king's probably saying, 30 days? Okay, that's not a big deal. Sure, give me that paper. And it kind of puffs him up full of pride. Everyone has to come to me. Everyone prays to me. Everyone asks me things. Hmm. So now the decision will be made. Will Daniel be faithful to his God, who's commanded him to pray? Or will Daniel serve the king and disobey God? Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Notice some things here. When did Daniel pray? When he knew the document had been signed. This is not catching Daniel by surprise. He knows what the law means. He knows what the law is. And he's not going to plead ignorance. That's what they said I can't do. I will do it. He goes home. He opens his window to make it public. In defiance to tyrants. I will pray to my God. And Daniel here exercises some godly civil disobedience. Yes, Civil disobedience is sometimes necessary. We see this in the scripture again and again and again. 
When government crosses its God-given authority and commands us to do things that God has not told us to do or forbids things that God has commanded us to do, they have crossed the line and we must disobey. We must fear God rather than men. We see this again over the entirety of the scriptures. For Daniel not to pray would be a sin. Just like it would have been for the apostles in the book of Acts. Remember they told them, you are not allowed to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. If you do, we will throw you in jail. You remember what they said? Okay, lock us up. We cannot shut up. You cannot shut us up. We have to tell what we've seen and heard. That's civil disobedience. Yes, God has given government to us. That's what Romans 13 says. We are to obey government when government stays in its lane. As soon as government crosses that lane and it causes us or forces us to sin or to disobey God, then we must respectfully disobey. This is what David has done here. We saw this recently and just in our modern history in the last few years over our COVID age. Thankfully, our governor in the state of Florida kept Florida free and did not impose any governmental restrictions prohibiting churches from gathering, although that wasn't the case in California or Canada or other states where pastors were either threatened with jail, John MacArthur in California, or pastors in Canada were spent a month or two in jail until their sentences were overturned, and they sued the Canadian magistrate and won. Praise God for their faithfulness. Daniel knows we must obey God rather than man. And notice, he doesn't do this just to be defiant. He doesn't do this because they told him not to. He says, look, as he had done previously, he prays three times a day towards Jerusalem, as was his custom. This is Daniel's daily habit. Here's a question for you. If you were Daniel living in this day, would you ever be arrested for praying? Would there ever be any evidence to lock you up because you disobeyed the order of the king, as was your habit to do often in your life? This is a great convicting question for all of us, because I don't think any of us prays often enough or spends time in prayer and seeking our God as we ought to. A question that greatly convicted me this week as well. Would there be enough evidence for me to be locked up because I obeyed God rather than men? Let that encourage our hearts to be people of prayer and to intentionally seek God as we ought to. It's business as usual for Daniel. Look at verse 11. Daniel's praying open window. Then these men, the men who tried to trap him, came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, 
O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king heard these words, was much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. King Cyrus is in a pickle. On the one hand, he really likes Daniel. And he even has a plan to make Daniel the head of the whole empire underneath him. You know, right now he's got 120 guys and then three guys over the 120. Well, now he wants Daniel over the three who's over the 120. He has Daniel ready for a promotion. But this guy, whom he really likes, who has an excellent spirit about him, who has a good track record of great wisdom... He now has to kill because he's been trapped into making this law. And he made this law, and if he's not going to follow his own law, he's going to lose respect and reputation before the people. He's going to disobey the law of the Medes and Persians. He can't change it. What does he do? Well, he does what all good, well, all politicians do you find a loophole. You try to find a loophole, a back door, a way out, a deal, something you can do. And he does this. He hears it and he spends all day trying to rescue Daniel from the law that he made. And it says here, till the sun went down, because that was the deadline. Well, the sunset happened and no loophole could be found. There was no other choice he had. He had to send Daniel into the lion's den. The king is delaying his decision, and the guys get a little suspicious. So they said to him in verse 15, These men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. The word den in the Hebrew here has the root word, which means to dig. Uh, the lion's den is like an underground pit, if you can imagine that. It was probably built into a hillside and dug down where the lions were kept. It had a hole at the top from which they could drop food to the lions and also a door at the side or at the bottom of the hillside where you can enter or exit if you need to to maintain the lions in and to get the lions in and out. And so they go before him. King, time is ticking. Okay, okay. Let's go, guys. And they march Daniel to the lions then and throw him in. And then the king says to Daniel something very, I think, telling. May your God, 
who you serve continually deliver you. What a testimony Daniel had. Cyrus knows who Daniel's God is. Remember, he's just financed this project to go rebuild the temple and send his people home. Probably because of Daniel's influence and excellent spirit that is in him. But he knows also that Daniel is not only faithful to his empire, being a good leader and ruler, he serves God continually. May that be said of us, brothers and sisters. May that be said of us. Hmm. And so Daniel's in there. Verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. They sealed it with a stone, just in case anyone tries to play any tricks and get Daniel out. No way Daniel's getting himself out of this. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord. Think of like branding a cattle. It, when you laid your signet ring on something, or it, it, it was like a notary stamp. This is official king business. Nobody mess with this. So not only is a stone on top of there to seal the entrance, the king's signet is in there. And if you mess with the king's signet and seal, you could be killed or you're going to be thrown into the lion's den, making it official. Then the king went to his palace, verse 18, and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The stone gets rolled in place. The king loses sleep. He is so stressed out. He doesn't want to eat. He knows what he did was wrong, but his hands were tied. No entertainment, no court jesters, no diversions, nothing. Just let me be tonight. And he's up all night. Probably thinking, Daniel's being torn to shreds. Does Daniel, will Daniel's God save him? I wonder if King Cyrus heard the story from Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. Perhaps this comment that King Cyrus makes comes because Daniel said, hey, this is what Nebuchadnezzar tried. He tried to burn those boys and God protected them. May God deliver you, Daniel, is what he says to him lastly. Verse 19, then at the break of day, at sunrise, at dawn, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. He's in a hurry. Will Daniel be alive or dead? As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. He's heartbroken. He know, he's not expecting him to be alive. And the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. 
So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not burned by the fire, and there was a fourth individual in there that Nebuchadnezzar saw that looked like the Son of Man. Remember, we said it was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. The word angel means messenger. Jesus is the messenger of the Lord. He's the Lord's agent in the Old Testament. Here we see that an angel, we're not specifically told that language, the angel of the Lord, but it's an angel. Could it have been the Lord Jesus? We don't know. Could it have just been an angel? Probably. An angel shut the lion's mouths. All Daniel knows is there was someone from heaven that was there who protected me, who shut their mouths up, and I did not have a hair on my body harmed, not a scratch on me. I'm totally fine. And he gives the reason because I'm blameless before God, meaning I have not sinned against God to be thrown in here, and I have not sinned against you. It's not a sin against you, O king, because you were tricked into this law. You didn't even want to do it. And Daniel says he trusts in God. So what happens next? And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Amazing. So not only do the guys who set up this trap for the king get thrown into the lion's den, but their families as well. It reminds me of Achan's sin in the Old Testament, where Achan sinned, but his family bore the judgment. Never forget this, friends, that sin never just affects you. It affects your family. It affects your church. It affects all those who you come in contact with. Don't play the game that it's only me who I'm hurting. No, you hurt everyone around you when you disobey God. And this was the Persian way of life. Anyone who made a false charge against someone will be punished in the same way that the person they made a false charge against would have been punished or was punished. And so why are they thrown to the lions then? Because that's what happened to Daniel. So that's what happens to them. But listen, look at the difference here. Daniel was thrown to the lions then, slept all night, no harm. Matter of fact, he got a better night's sleep than the king did. The king can't even sleep, he can't even eat, and here's Daniel in the den of lions. Nothing happens. Trusting in his God. You know Daniel's heart was at peace. Right? Maybe he's singing, he will hold me fast. Who knows? In there. Hmm. But the people who were thrown into the lions then, before they even hit the ground, the lions were all over them. They're hungry, man. They just went all night not eating. Right? They couldn't even touch Daniel. Before they even hit the ground, the bodies at the floor, they, destroyed, they broke their bones, overpowered them, and killed those people. Wow. What a contrast to what happened to Daniel. In verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, his empire, Peace be multiplied to you. 
I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That could be translated as the reign of Darius, even the Cyrus the Persian. And so the king then makes a proclamation. Does this sound familiar? This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace, what happens? Nebuchadnezzar makes a proclamation. Everyone is not allowed to say anything against their God. And then, when he comes out of captivity after being crazy like an ox, Nebuchadnezzar again makes a proclamation. And here is King Cyrus as well, pointing people to Daniel's God. Now, if you get to the end of this story and your conclusion is this, boy, let me be like Daniel. I mean, you've heard me preach for 10 years, almost 10 years now, right? You know that's not where I'm going with that story, right? I'm not going to dare you to be a Daniel, right? I'm not going to point you to mimic Daniel, even though Daniel's a wonderful example here. The point of the story is not Daniel's faithfulness. The point of the story is always and has been Daniel's God. And now listen to this. This story is ultimately pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here are 17 ways how. And I'm not kidding. (laughs) Don't worry, we're almost done. 17 ways Daniel in the lion's den. Really, it should be called Jesus in the lion's den. Listen to this beautiful story that the Holy Spirit of God inspired to point us to Christ. Are you ready? Number one. And by the way, Debbie's going to email this out this week, so don't be like going crazy making notes. Okay, Debbie will email it out. All right. Okay, Debbie, where are you? Oh, she's in children's church. Debbie, you got a job to do later, okay? All right. Number one, the king had set out to plan to make Daniel number one in his kingdom in the same way that God has ordained Christ rule and reign forever. Number two, we are told that Daniel had an excellent spirit about him in the same way that the Holy Spirit of God came upon Jesus at his baptism and empowered him in his ministry. Number three, we are told that Daniel is innocent. And that there is no fault that can be found in him. Who does that remind you of? In the same way Jesus was innocent and blameless. And they could find no real fault at him. So what did they do? They had to make up charges to accuse him falsely. Number four. We are told that Daniel was conspired against, trapped to see if he would disobey his God. In the same way Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness to see if he would obey God. He was also conspired against by the Jewish rulers, trying to trap him in blasphemy and make accusations against him. Number five, we are told that the law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed, and Daniel had to be killed. In the same way, the law of God cannot be changed. The soul that sins shall die. So therefore, Jesus had to be killed to uphold the king's law. Number six, we are told that Daniel obeyed God anyway. 
and he prayed in his room even though it was against the law and then was later arrested. In the same way, Jesus obeyed God anyway and prayed in the garden right before he was arrested. Number seven, we are told that Daniel's accusers bring him before the king and demand his death. In the same way, the Jewish leaders bring him, Jesus, before Pontius Pilate and place him on trial. Number eight, we are told that Daniel did not fight back. He did not defend himself, but willingly entered the lion's den. In the same way, we are told that the Lord Jesus opened not his mouth and was led like a a lamb to the slaughter and went willingly. Number nine, we are told that the king did not want to kill Daniel as he found no fault in him. In the same way, we are told that Pontius Pilate found no fault in him, in Jesus, even after trying to find a loophole by offering Barabbas and was unsuccessful and went along with the plot for politi- because of political pressure. Number 10, Daniel was thrown into the lion's, de- lion's den to meet a sure death, surrounded by a multitude of lions. In the same way, Jesus was thrown to the lions, the Romans, to face death, surrounded by his enemies on the cross. On there, he quotes Psalm 22 in multiple places, of which one of the verses says, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Number 11, we are told that the mouth of the lion's den was sealed with a big stone and sealed with the king's seal to ensure nobody messes with it. In the same way, Jesus was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and, and, and Caesar's seal was placed on the stone and make, to make sure that the disciples could not get in there to steal his body and mess with the body of Jesus. Number 12, we are told at dawn the king went <clears throat> to uh, the lion's den had the stone rolled away and discovered that God had saved Daniel from death and he lived. In the same way, at dawn, on the third day, the women go to the tomb to find the stone was rolled away and that Jesus had escaped the clutches of death by resurrecting from the dead. Number 13, we are told that Daniel was saved from the lion's den because he was blameless and trusted in his God. In the same way, Jesus was also blameless innocent, the spotless Lamb of God. He also trusted in God the Father by saying, not my will be done, but yours be done. Number 14, we are told that those who tried to slander Daniel and have him arrested were themselves thrown to the lions per the wrath of the king. Their bones were crushed even before they hit the floor. In the same way, all those who reject the Lord Jesus and die in their sins as an enemy toward God will face the wrath of the true God in the lake of fire forever. Number 15, we are told that none of Daniel's bones were broken despite being thrown to the lions, but the bones of the other men thrown to the lions were broken even before they hit the floor. In the same way, the bones of the Lord Jesus were not broken when he died on the cross unlike the two thieves crucified with him because he had already died. Number 16, we are told that the king elevates Daniel to a high position of power and makes him prosper, setting him before all the peoples. 
In the same way, we are told that God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number 17, we made it. We are told that when Daniel was saved from the pit, it led to the praise and worship of God in Persia. Peoples, nations, languages, to everyone who heard the good news sent out by the king. In the same way, when Jesus was saved from the pit by God the Father resurrecting him from the dead, it led to the universal praise of God among all tribes and tongues and nations on earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. And you really think Daniel in the lion's den is about us? 17 things cannot be a coincidence. It's about him. It's about him who has died for us. It is about him who shares the good news with us that if we believe in him, we will be spared the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is far worse than any lion's den can ever do to any person. It is him that we remember. It is him that we believe. It is him that we praise. It is him that we preach to all peoples so that they also can be saved from God's wrath and forgiven of their sins and glory and praise the one who only matters, King Jesus. And I implore you today to believe in him. I implore you to know and realize today that you deserve to be thrown into the lion's den, and so do I. But there's one who's been thrown in for us, There's been one who has shut the lion's mouths for us and has taken the lion's jaws upon himself and has has given himself up on our behalf so that we can be rescued, that we can live, that we don't have to die forever. And his name is Jesus. And may you never see this story the same way again. Let us pray, and then we will remember the Lord as as he... has commanded us to do. Father, help us as we glory in this text. As we see the Lord Jesus, we see Daniel as a gospel-saturated book. We see Daniel in this story pointing us to the Christ, the one who would come to endure almost word for word, blow by blow, the same exact thing that Daniel endured in the lion's den and also his reward for his obedience. We know the Holy Spirit has written these passage to point us to him. And God, may I pray that someone in here who is headed for that lion's den who deserves the wrath of God, as all sinners do, will come to the place to realize that they don't have to enter that lion's den and face the judgment that they have deserved and earned for themselves, but that one has come to offer himself willingly to go in and be a substitute on our behalf. May people repent of their sins and trust the name of Christ to save them, the name that is above all names. Let us glory in him. And now, God, as we remember this story, 
as we remember what it points to, the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, you would help your people, those who have become born again, remember you as we remember this ordinance together. In your holy name we pray. Amen. If the deacons would join me up front.